I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... And the government, by the way, I think was way ahead of the private sector prior to the pandemic in terms of remote work. Most people don't realize that, but they were. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today, we talk with Mary Abijay. She is a career consultant, runs a company called Career Stone Group. She also wrote a book called Managing Up, How to Work with Any Kind of Boss. Boy, I wish I'd had that a few years ago. But she talks about the future of work. Are we all in cubicles? Are we in offices? Is it a hybrid? How do you advance your career when you never see your boss face to face? She has a great term for it, presence bias. Remember the time you used to kiss your, well, whatever you did with your boss to get ahead. What does that mean going forward with COVID and hybrid offices? It's an amazing conversation that you won't want to miss. Mary, thanks for being with us today. Hey, Mark Walsh. It is great to be here. You, you are author, you're author of a book called Managing Up, How to Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Tell us what was the aha moment that made you sit down and do that book. The aha moment that made me do that book was I work with organizations, leaders, teams, and for years I kept hearing people complain about their boss. And yeah. at the same time, their bosses are complaining about them. And I'm thinking, people, yeah. can you just have a conversation? It doesn't ha- You don't have to let a difficult boss get in the way of your career success. So I got tired of seeing people just complain about their boss. So I decided to give them some tools and strategies to be successful. Excellent. And uh, I-, I think there's probably a couple of chapters about this is unsolvable. I should leave, right? Yeah. I have a whole chapter that says, it's okay to quit and really yeah. telling people it's okay to quit. Like you've got to put your career first and you've got to manage your career. And part of managing your career is managing those workplace relationships. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. It's like that old WC Fields quote, try, try again. But if you don't succeed, don't be a yeah. <laughs> a jerk, yeah. quit. Quit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it could not be a more timely time, I guess, for that, that kind of advice because many would argue, and you're, you're living it as a consultant and, and an author and all that, uh, COVID has changed the relationship completely in yeah. all sorts of, at the DNA level, at the executional level, at the productivity level, at the measurement level. So what are some features of COVID that have changed what you would have written that book if you had to write it again today? Oh, well, some of the features that have changed is how managers manage. You know, yeah. what we knew before the pandemic was that many managers, middle managers, were a little bit averse to remote work. We see it in the government. We saw it in the private sector. They didn't necessarily trust people to actually work while they were remote. Then, of course, everybody went remote, and suddenly these managers had to figure out how to manage remotely. So in some cases, some managers were really good at it. In other cases, not so much. And let's be honest, not every manager is good at being a manager. So, you know, really, I am shocking. Is it shocking? And, you know, what we've learned was that we have to really rethink not only how we manage, but how we manage up and how we actually get work done. So, and now when we're going into hybrid, baby, that's a whole new animal. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I worked for the federal government for a glorious year and a half under the Obama administration (laughs) as a political appointee. And as you know, AWS, right? Alternative yep. work schedules. You've probably heard that letter, those letters a few times. But it was interesting to see those people that frankly had, and this is not a sermon, but they had established trust with management to go home and, and be productive. And others had not established yep. that level of trust, which made AWS in some ways uh, 
a threat to some managers because they knew they couldn't rely on some of the folks. Absolutely. And AWS, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't distributed evenly, right? Some agencies really embraced it. Others, not so much. Exactly. And, you know, you had to, in many agencies, you had to actually apply for it. You had to prove yourself <clears throat> that you were reliable enough to do it. So I think that, I think, and the government, by the way, I think was way ahead of the private sector prior to the pandemic. Agreed. In terms of remote work. Most people don't realize that, but they were, especially certain civilian agencies. Uh, and I think the pandemic really for good, the silver lining is I think it really did hasten and kind of prove the uh, the uh, success that remote work can be. Well, one of my colleagues in another agency, not the one I was with, uh, had to remind one of his, uh, w- w- a bunch of the teammates, that the W in AWS stood for work. <laughs> Uh, because sometimes it was it was an ex- it was a, it was a vacation. Well, you know you're right, and that's the problem. With, when a few people ab- d- abuse the system, the work part, when they use the remote, bad apples. Bad apples. But then if a manager's already a little bit like ah oh, hesitant around them, and then one out of twenty people on their team uh, actually decides to use their day to get mani petties, you know that's going to ruin it for everybody. Like the old song we were talking earlier, one bad apple ruins the whole bunch, girl. I forget who did that, but it's probably some old band yep. that you may have played in the Toledo Lounge. In the Toledo are, Lounge. And yeah. you know, that's when we talk about hybrid, why it's really important that we all get on the same page in our organizations and in our teams about what it's going to look like. What flies, what doesn't, and really getting clear around expectations, needs, wants, uh, because if if a couple of people or there's a couple of bad situations, then you don't want your employer to blow the whistle and say, okay, everybody, everybody back in the pool. This right. doesn't work. Right. Adult swim. So <laughs> the word hybrid is being interpreted by many corporations and entities differently, as I'm sure you see every day because you're you're living this. One way that I think uh, strikes me as kind of the worst possible outcome is these sort of wonderful Wednesdays where everybody comes back in for one or two days and the reason I say maybe the worst uh, worst outcome, what I love your feedback, obviously, because you're here as a guest on What's Working in Washington with Mary Abijay, is then you have to have all the office space and all the facilities to handle everybody who you, you work for for those one or two days, which makes the other five days completely fallow. Are you seeing that being tried and failing? Yeah. So what we're seeing is that organizations are kind of winging it. And, you know, one of the first things I recommend to leaders to think about with hybrid is to be really clear on what model you are using and the why, you know, and there is a spectrum of choice that you can give people. On the one hand, you can have a very open laissez-faire model, which is employees, you decide, we work five days a week, you decide where you want to work, when you want to come to the office, when you want to be remote, it's totally up to you. Then the other side of the spectrum, you see where the organization has all the control and choice. And they say, everybody work in the office, let's say Monday through Thursday, Friday is your day, you can be remote. And then in the middle, there's a lot of other choices where the team might say, do what you want, but on Wednesdays, everyone's going to be in the office. So there are so many ways to look at this. And I think organizations need to look at this as more of an organizational change and an organizational experiment. Because I agree with you, just making everybody come in for these wild Wednesdays might work for organization A, but it may not work for organization B. And it depends on what else you are doing in that organization. It's a really tricky thing to choose the right model. So we're talking about the hybrid workplace. So to your point, I think we're all going to kind of learn. Yes. When do you think some organizations, be they service-based, I guess manufacturing would be a real kind of outlier in this, 
When do you think we'll start to lock in with some models that are really working? Or are we still going to experiment a year from now or five years from now? I think that organizations are, are starting out and locking in a model. I don't like the word lock. I think you're right. I think they should look at it as an experimentation for the first three to six months. Okay. A given, let's say, let's assume, of course, that we are through the worst of the pandemic, right? So let's assume we're, uh, let's hope we're work. Knocking work. wood. Knocking wood, everybody. Uh, I think you should start off with a model. And then I think like with any organizational change, you need to gather feedback. Take a look. What's working well? What's not working well? How can we tweak this? Uh, really seek feedback from your employees. Seek feedback from your customers and your clients. And then tweak along the edges. But I think you also want to make it clear to your employees that you are experimenting. That the model we have now might change based on how successful we find it for employee engagement, for our culture, for things like that. And then look to lock in the model You know, uh, six months to a year after you've really experimented with it. I kind of think it depends on the seasonality of your business, like right. what the rhythms are. But I wouldn't lock in anything right now. And do not tell your people it's locked in in case you have to change it. Is there any collision between a unionized shop or a unionized organization versus a non-unionized organizations in some of these models? Probably. And see, so I don't work a lot with unionized organizations. I do, I guess, with the federal government. But Are I you anti-union, Mary? Is I that am where not anti-union. I just I'm joking. <laughs> but I do think that you probably do need to bring the union into this conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I think they could be very helpful in socializing ideas with their members. And you also want to make sure that you are in alignment with, with whatever union contracts that you have. Yeah. And also, I guess uh, the other models that I'm seeing sometimes work and sometimes fail really flow into the type of organization. Yes. I have friends at investment banks. Investment banks, as you know, team oriented, project oriented to transaction and the team breaks up and other teams form or movie making or entertainment yeah. or stuff like that, as opposed to a very rote organization that has teams doing the exact same thing with each, with each other. What are you seeing in flavor uh, flavors of flexibility in that 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 secondary model, where people that are very used to being together five days a week? There must be some real struggle there. Well, there is definitely some struggle. So I got a couple of things to say on this. One is that. Uh, People, there's three basic personas, right, in the workplace. You have your office cravers, uh, and these office are cravers? cravers, yeah, Love like it. office yeah. cravers, and they want to be in the physical office, in the physical workplace. Uh, they want to be with people, they want to see people, and these are people that might be um, might be because of their raging extroverts, or they hate where they live, or right, right, or right. they want to just command and control. They need to see you to know you're working. And we're, research shows that there's about 10 to 15 percent of those people in the workforce, and they're usually sitting at the top. They're your CEOs. And they're quite often, they're your bankers as well. Then you've got another uh, section of people that are called the mixers. And these are people that want to work in the physical office sometimes and remotely sometimes. Uh, and they might work remotely, you know, from home or from a Starbucks, but they want to mix it up. They still want the human physical interactions, but they don't want to come to the office every day. And that's like 70% of the people right now, 70, 75%. And then you have your people, what we call the home dwellers. And this is about 15% of your population. And these are the folks that see no reason to ever come into a physical workplace ever again. Mm -hmm. They want to work remotely. So organizations have to manage all these different personas. And as you know, there's a war for talent out there right now. So finding the right model, because in every organization, whether you're a bank or whether you're manufacturing, although it's hard for them to work remotely, yeah. you're going to have to try to find a model that fits these people. The other thing about the different models is that um, – 
uh, when you are working as a team, you want to really think about what's best for the team and what are you doing to actually use that in-person office time. So it's going to be, this is why I say, like, don't lock anything in right now, people. Really experiment. So the home dwellers, I was I was yeah. going to predict you were calling them hermits. Uh, <laughs> this is the sweatpants and old T-shirt uh, exactly. crowd. And uh, we've all been in office situations where the office cravers and the hermits interact at the coffee machine, and clearly they have different different uh, uh, value sets. So um, make some magic wand predictions here. We have a lot of time left in our conversation, but I'm very interested specifically in commercial real estate. Okay. Make some, you know, crystal ball in front of our guest, Mary Abajay today. Crystal ball, commercial real estate as a entity, where do you see it going in the next five years? Well, it's a good thing you picked that because, well, there's two things about commercial real estate. So the first one is commercial real estate business, mm-hmm. okay? So in terms of like, let's say you're a JBG Smith or you're a Donahoe, you're in commercial real estate. They're a great example of an organization that has to try to find a model that's going to work for all their employees, right? Because it's not really equitable. The people in the administration, they can work from home. The property managers cannot. Yeah. So that's a great thing. Like, you know, so when we're thinking about this, you want to think about where, uh, how you're going to make it fair to everybody. Okay. So that's them as a company. But you're asking me about the state of commercial real estate. Correct. But you know what? Yeah. We're going to hold that. Okay. Because your answer is so pithy. We'll make sure we take a break <laughs> and come back with our guest, Mary Abajay, author, consultant, and expert all around in what is going on in the hybrid workplace. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. We'll be back with more conversation after this. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a DC insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. We look forward to hearing from you. Working in Washington. I am your host, Mark Walsh. Again, we are excited to be joined by Mary Abajay. Mary is an author, a consultant, the author of a book I got to go buy and read called Managing Up, How to Succeed with Any Type of Boss, but also founding a manager of CareerStone Group, but also an expert in our conversation focusing on the hybrid workplace. Before we break, before we went to break, we had teed up the commercial real estate business. And you talked about companies in that business, but now commercial real estate. I can't believe... I'll tip tip my hat on where I think your prediction may go or what my think your prediction may go. I can't believe that business is going to stay the same. I know WeWork was one disruptive way, air quotes here for those listening, disruptive way to change the economic model. But COVID, I would argue, has changed the economic model maybe forever. Um, all right, this isn't being recorded, is it? Like, you're, you're not <laughs> no. going to like hold me to my crystal ball it's prediction. Just you and me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cannot. I am with you. I cannot see 
how commercial real estate doesn't go through some pretty significant changes. Uh, I, unless, of course, it is, I think people, I think organizations are going to be reducing their footprint. That was absolutely a trend that was beginning prior to the pandemic. And I can't imagine if hybrid is the norm and people, it is and will be the norm. I can't imagine companies keeping the same amount of commercial space. Now, Maybe that means there's room for more additional companies to come in and use uh, corporate space or commercial space. But I think it's going to shift. And if I had a guess as to how it was going to shift, I would imagine there'd be more mixing of it. I would imagine more uh, some commercial spaces are going to go to housing because housing is a huge problem. And with HQ2 in here, we need more apartments. We need more spaces. I do think also that the shared workspaces are going to make a huge comeback uh, as people, as organizations reduce their footprint. I have a couple of clients that got rid of their leased space and are now using shared spaces. So I think it's going to be a really interesting, transformative, shall we say, time for the commercial real estate biz. Well, one model I argue with folks about is is shopping malls. I mean, the yeah. big malls out in the suburbs. No, it's gone. E-commerce has ripped them apart. They're being used for all sorts of new facilities. Some of them, sadly, are lying fallow and dormant. Yep. But uh, innovative entities are finding uses for those structures. Yeah. And I hope that there's some gap fillers in the commercial real estate uh, arbitrage or change that we're, that we're discussing. Yeah, I mean, I think it would probably be a very exciting time to be in commercial real estate if you were a forward-thinking thinker, right? Yeah. If you were somebody that was willing to take some risk and try some new things, um, a little future planning scenarioism would be really helpful. I think it's an exciting time. And I think the commercial uh, property people, commercial developers, that whole business, those who are really thinking 10, 20 years in the future are the ones that are going to win. So one of the companies I'm involved with is all about upskilling. And I'm convinced that a portion of commercial real estate allocated to company X will either be leased out by company X or used by company X for education of the lower uh, lower level or uh, lower tier employees who want to rise up the ladder of company X yep. or other people that want to. So I think education is one. I know I'm waxing poetic here, but I am convinced to your point, Mary Abijay, that innovative companies or innovative leasers or innovative commercial real estate companies will find other customers for that space. I think so, too. I think we're in agreement. As long, we're in agreement as long as they're thinking outside the box of their current customers. Bingo. Like if you were a mall and you're looking for more stores, I'd rethink that use that the use of that space because I think I think you're right. I think it's going to survive, but it's going to look different. So let's talk about other ways that they that that innovative thinking may hit in benefits. So the benefit package back in the day. I'm older than you, but back in the day, uh, you were, if folks were looking for companies, and the benefit package was very very important. It's still very very important. But do you see any changes in how people look at benefits package when they join a company? Yeah, well, I think it really depends on the age of the worker and yep. their career phase. So I think older workers like you and me, um, I think we're looking for more security. We're looking for things like health insurance. We're looking for things that really matter. When you're talking about the younger set, the millennials, actually millennials are getting kind of old right now. That's the, right. the Z or Zillennials, I think they're looking for career advancement. They're looking for mentoring. They're looking for flexible work options. They're looking for opportunities to learn and develop. So maybe they're looking for perhaps some college reimbursement money. Uh, They're looking for different things. Money is, of course, important to everybody. uh, But I think when you're... Earlier in your career, uh, things like health insurance aren't that important because they don't think they're going to get sick, which is fine. Find other things. And I do think organizations have to be really uh, flexible and creative about this because one size does not fit all for your employees now. We still have four generations in the workplace. 
So managers. Yeah. Uh, how do you see tomorrow's managers coming out of business school or ri- ri- rising in the corporate ranks? How do you see those women and men being challenged in ways they probably weren't ready to be challenged when they were being, when they sort of getting their stripes to be managers of many people? Well, first of all, they don't really teach how to be a manager in business school or in law school or Stop. in medical school, Come believe on. it or not. They yeah. teach you how to like manage business, not manage people. And, you know, we've been hearing this for years. It's really around the emotional intelligence of your manager. And I think when managers learn the, understand that they are managing people, and not things, it will be very helpful. And I do think we've seen a little bit of movement that way. Because let's be honest, here's how we uh, promote people in the workplace. Oh, Mark, you're so good at doing X, Y, Z. You're so talented. You're a great salesperson. We're going to put you in charge of Dunder Mifflin. Like we promote people based on their technical skills and not on their ability their aptitude or acumen to manage people. And I think organizations who are really going to win the war for talent and really be able to thrive in the 21st century are those who are going to realize that a manager's role is to set the conditions for success for their employees, to be able to empower and develop and manage people, not things. So I am hoping that managers will learn how to manage people, not things. Now, of course, that being said, if they knew how to do this, Mark, there would be no reason for my book. (laughs) And half my clients wouldn't need me anymore because we know that poor managers are one of the top three reasons why people leave organizations and why we have low employee engagement and low employee morale. We're talking with Mary Abajay, a partner at CareerStone Group and the author of Managing Up, How to Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Let me stick on that title and, and your work there, Mary, because... One of the when I talk to my venture capital friends, one of the things they worry about in this new post-COVID or, I guess, COVID-drenched workplace environment is the old saw of if you get in early and see the boss or stay late and see the boss. This level of personal advancement that just kind of being there and kissing a little, I'm sorry, kissing the ring a little bit now and then <laughs> can always have, and this this becomes way thinner in, in COVID. Are there replacements for that? Yeah, you raised one of the biggest challenges that we're going to see in COVID, and that's uh, the what we call presence bias, which means nicely like, phrased. Thank you, my Love friend. I, I stole it from somebody. I can't remember who. Uh, but this is about like we are as human beings, we are social creatures, and so as managers, uh, when you are managing people, you've got to be really careful that you're not just um, uh, giving favors or like being more responsive to the people that. Who's, who you're seeing, right? Out of out of sight, out of mind. But as employees, I want to tell you all, it's really important for you to show your face. Like that FaceTime, that physical presence is still going to be really important for career advancement. So it's going to be a dance that people have to figure and they have to really navigate. So I would say to any employee out there or manager, as you're going into hybrid, when you are in the physical office, make sure that you are connecting with other human beings who are alive. Don't go into the office and just like shut your door, do your work, open your door and go home. You could have done that from home. Mm -hmm. So I want people to be really strategic about building relationships, uh, connecting with people face to face. And especially for managers, it's going to be really hard not to give, not to give deference or a preference to those you see every day. Mm -hmm. And then the whole thing about young people starting in the job, like think about young lawyers, young accountants, young anybody. We learn so much just by being in the office. So I think that is a big challenge that the hybrid organizations are going to have to be very intentional about uh, managing and very intentional about navigating. I guess managers will also have to start 
getting better at engaging the person who shows up, shuts their door, does their work, and leaves. Getting them yep. physically out. Maybe we get rid of doors. Maybe it's all cubes. Maybe it's physical changing. Or having games. I, I hate to say the you know mm-hmm. leaning backwards, a trust fall, and all that stupid stuff for for offsites. Remember, we used to have offsites, right? <laughs> but almost having offsites during during a regular work time. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I always I do a lot of offsites for my clients, and I always tell them if you misbehave. You're going to do a trust fall. So (laughs) it keeps them on the up and up. But I do. But you're exactly right. You have to do some intentional team building. You've got to, especially when the people aren't going to be around together, you want to create some casual collisions. You want to create that sort of camaraderie, uh, that collaboration, the uh, esprit de corps, if you will. And yeah, that means means maybe doing some more corny trust building and team building stuff. So for your clients, when they bring you in, what percentage of the time do they not know what they need to do and you need to shape it versus they have a specific schedule and you are the execution uh, consultant for them? Uh, I'd say 50-50. Really? 50-50. Boy, I would have lost that bet. Yeah, what would you have said? I would have said 90 don't know and 10 do. Yeah, well, and the, the 90 that don't know are actually usually more successful uh, in what we do than the 50 that do. The 50%. Bingo. Because when they already have, they've already diagnosed it, they've solved it, and they just want you to execute – They've only seen it from their point of view. And part of the reason you want to bring in an outsider like me or someone who does what I do is because we can look at it with fresh eyes. And we don't fall into the same rabbit hole or the same form of thinking. So I actually prefer them to know a little bit about what they want. I don't want the whole picture painted. But when they don't have any idea, that could be challenging too. So Mary Abajay, we ask our guests uh, at the end of each show or near the end of each show to take a moment and pretend they had a magic wand in their hand if they ran the world or maybe their state or the neighborhood they live in, I don't care. What would they wave a magic wand and start? And what, if, if you wish, what would they wave a magic wand and end? So if you were, the, you were in charge of everything, what would it be? I am queen of the universe. Yeah. I would make human beings have their leadership reflect their actual populations. So, I mean, in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, age, like I am tired of having such a monolithic kind of corporate leadership. Yep. Right. So I'd like really mix it up. Diverse leaders in groups are going to create better solutions, better organizations. So I'd make that happen. And what I would end right now is the lack of kindness and consideration that human beings have for each other. The way that people are behaving on airplanes and stores and the roads, like there's so much anger. There's so much frustration. There's so much like um, uh, dislike of our fellow human beings. Like I just think I would end all that like lack. I would end all the rudeness and lack of consideration. I'd bring more kindness in the world. Just being kind. As was famously said in L.A. right after the riots, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along? By the way. I don't have to like you to be nice to you. Of all the answers that we've had, the guests, I like your uh, I like your ending answer the best because, like you, I concur. I've been on planes where, you know, those uh, those moments with cameras have have been it's 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 horrific. It yeah. makes you you feel like you're seeing the worst part of the human animal being peeled back yep. and shown. So way to go! And also, I think uh, the gender and demographic representation of leadership. Completely agree. Yeah. So those are great aspirational goals, Mary Abajay. <laughs> you got to make them happen, Mark Walsh. <laughs> That's my damn job from now on. Okay, it's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Again, we're so happy to have been joined today by Mary Abajay, founder and partner of CareerStone Group, a hybrid, work, work, hybrid workplace consultant and author of Managing Up, How to Succeed with Any Type of Boss. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.